Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. As always, I'm your host, Michael Vito. I'm Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen Lovito. And we're here to talk about some movies. And the year was 2007. It was the year that the mortgage bubble finally burst. It was the year that Barry Bonds broke Hank Aaron's career home run record and then got indicted. It was the year the iPod was released and the year Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was iPhone. released. I meant iPhone. <laughs> oh. Ooh. oh! But most importantly, it was the year I turned 13, Lars turned 12, and Kathleen turned 11, and five movies were released that were nominated for Best Picture. And those movies were Atonement, Juno, N- Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. No Country for Michael Clayton. Okay. <laughs> there Will Be Atonement. There Will Be Atonement. Um, did, I hit, did I hit the current events you were expecting me to hit? The first woman ever was elected Speaker of the House in 2007. Oh. Well, she was elected. The first mayor. woman ever? Yes. The first, like, ever, ever, the first woman ever. Yes. Nancy Pelosi was the first woman. To exist? The first woman ever to exist? <laughs> the way you put what? the emphasis on that oh, sounds the like... the first woman ever. <laughs> Eve. What was her name? Um, Alright. Whatever. We're good. Let's get into <laughs> it. She's in the news today as well. She is, that's yeah. true. She is. Yes. September 24th, 2019 for all you historians out there. Um, but let's talk about a movie... That came she out died. on August 29th, 2007. <laughs> That's terrible. It was really bad. Anyway, um, there's, there's, I'm not going to go into it. Anyway, Atonement, directed by Joe Wright, written by Christopher Hampton, based on the novel by Ian McEwan, starring James McAvoy, Kira Knightley, Sorsha Ronan, Ramola Garay, Vanessa Redgrave, and Benedict Cumberbatch. Atonement is the story of two star-crossed lovers played by Keira Knightley and James McAvoy. She is some fancy lady. She's like an heiress, basically. She, she lives on this wealthy country English estate. Um, James McAvoy is the groundskeeper's son or something like that. He works on it. Um, they begin a very passionate affair. But then, uh, Keira Knightley's sister, played by Saoirse Ronan, um, mistakenly accuses James McAvoy of rape. And he is sent off to jail, and then shipped off to World War II. Um, and that's... I already spoiled a big part of it, but that, that's basically the movie. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. <laughs> this is basically Consequences, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I mean, I kind of have to spoil it to talk about it. And we, we, we spoiled it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Fine. But if you haven't noticed that by yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, this movie's been out for over ten years, people. Yeah. Um, so Sorcerer Ronan is a problem in yes. this movie. She she really ruins everything. She's she sucks. Yeah, she, she sucks. <laughs> um, she's younger though. She is like she's like what thirteen, twelve, if something. that. Yeah. yeah, it's no excuse. Yeah, but like she misunderstands because of her age and because she's I, I don't know. No, it is she she, yeah. she doesn't know what she's seeing. Right. So basically what happens is is she walks in on James McAvoy and Kieran Knightley having sex and And instead of walking away she goes <laughs> Cecilia? Yeah. Well, uh, cuz she doesn't know what to do. And then <laughs> um 
the a, hero of the film, Benedict Cumberbatch, emerges. <laughs> so these two twins on the estate go missing, and while they go missing, um, their their sister, who is the cousin of Keira Knightley in Saoirse Ronan, and she's played by Juno Temple, um, is molested by a man. And Saoirse Ronan sees it, but she doesn't see clearly who the guy is. It turns out it's Benedict Cumberbatch, but um, she tells the police that it's James McAvoy. Sorry, is that Temple related to Shirley Temple? They I don't similar. believe so because okay. as Temple in they have red curly hair. Yeah, Juno Temple's British. So oh, okay. Um, okay. Anyway, so I feel like after all that happens, that's kind of like the first act of the film, and then the movie starts. Um, and there's sad stuff that happens. So James McAvoy goes off to the war. Um, um, I think that's. I think. That part's really good. No, the, I, the, yeah, the long yeah. shot at Dunkirk yeah. Yeah, is amazing. Like, um, probably the the best sequence, one of the best sequences of this year. I must say, out of all the World War II movies we've watched, the best World War II sequence. I mean, the landing at Normandy and saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Okay, well... It's also good. Yeah, it's, top, it's, 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 it's in the top it's, two. It's, it's really, really it's good. It's in the top two. Um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. There's, there's a lot There's a lot to unpack. I, don't, I feel like the more I think about this movie, the better it gets. Oh, absolutely. Because like, yeah. when we first finished it, I was like, oh, oh, okay. But then, like, Michael wrote this very insightful review, and I was like, oh, oh whoa. Oh, it's crazy. Brilliant. Read it. Um, I'll read it aloud. <laughs> it's, it's three paragraphs long. I'm going to be very indulgent. <laughs> um, it's just like, it's, it's like such... A, I don't know, someone jump in. So, so my whole thing, well, do you want to go? Well, this is what I want to preface for anyone who has not seen this movie. It's kind of hard to talk about it if you haven't seen it yes. without having three paragraphs on it. Yeah. Um, because basically what happens in the movie is you see three different timelines. You see, um, what is that guy's name? James McAvoy. James McAvoy, Keira Knightley's timeline, right? They, they have two separate timelines. He's in World War II, she's a nurse in World War II. And then you have Shirsa Ronan's timeline, who is like a, she's studying to be a nurse. Again, mm-hmm. in World War II, it's all the same time, just different places. Um, and essentially, big spoiler, what you learn at the end of the film is that what you've been watching is not reality necessarily, it's what Shirsa Ronan later writes, because she becomes an author, mm-hmm. and she writes a book about their relationship um, and gives it a happy ending because what happens in reality, and you learn this through an interview that Sharona has in the last 10 minutes of the film, um, is that they actually both die separately of each other, never actually get to be together. And she's been living with that guilt of one, wrongfully imprisoning a man, and then two, you know, never allowing either of them to be happy because of her actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you kind of need to know that before you can talk about the actual themes of the film. Yeah. yeah. But I think that is a big theme is that like the one thing I noticed when I was thinking about it, it's like, so the score is really good. It won the Oscar mm-hmm. and it uses like the click clacking of a typewriter mm-hmm. as like profession. Okay. And when you think about how some of what you're seeing was actually like concocted on the page, like that makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? We're not really seeing what actually happened so much as we're seeing... Oh, um, shit. So right? retelling of oh, it. Oh, Michael just blew my mind. Right? Um, and and, and it, 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 I think, really dives deep into this sort of, like, 
um, you know, it, it's very, like, invest, like, it asks a lot of questions about writing and what it can actually do, and if her goal essentially was to atone, like, so Sharon was like, if I give them a happy ending in, in sort of, like, fake life, then maybe that will make up for what I did in real life. No, no, okay. it does. But can I say, yeah, and as, a, as someone who does a lot of writing and about things that like are processing real life, you know, shout out Rise to the Sun, whatever. Um, this is it's it's actually I think it would have been more admirable for her to have written the truth. I think she did no service to them that them them and their memories by mm. rewriting their story. Yeah, and in some ways she did because it's assuming that everything we see before the interview is the contents of the book she does write about how she was wrong yes yeah so th there is some legitimate atonement there um but then also it's like it makes her clear that like she she never actually was able to confront them again she never talked to them again and all of that which i think is for true atonement i feel that should be the book but maybe i'm just too harsh on her it'd, it'd be interesting i mean in the book in the book, she writes... No, she doesn't. But that would be interesting if she had to write what would happen if she could have had the opportunity to speak with them if they didn't both die. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's what she writes, basically. Yeah, yeah that's her book. But I, she doesn't, in the book, say... Like, she doesn't tell the truth in the book. No. And the promise she made to James McElroy... McAvoy. <laughs> McAvoy. I keep on thinking of that podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me. They're the McElroys. Yeah. Um, is I'm going to tell it the, the truth and no flourishes, nothing else. Yeah. And that's a lie. That she's going to tell the police oh, that shit. she was wrong. <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> Kathleen almost spilled water all over the microphone. Um, Just like what happened yeah. to Kira Knightley at the end. Am I right? Yeah, she, she drowns. She drowns. Um, <laughs> What it's funny. I was thinking about this movie and how it's it's an epic romance set during World War II, and it made me think of one of our favorite movies we watched for this podcast, The English Patient. Um, <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and I was like, what makes this movie good and The English Patient bad? And there are a lot of things, um, but I think part of it is that like in this movie, there's actual injustice, mm. and it actually makes you ache for like the. The two Starcross lovers, even though like their love, like they they only like knew they loved each other or like wanted to have sex with each other for like, like literally thirty minutes. It, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's assumed they they, they, they were like friends growing up, yeah. but it's like you know they never actually spent a lot of time together as like lovers. So it's a little bit like okay, like how well do you actually know each other? But at the same time, <laughs> it's like they're they're torn apart by this. It's like oh, it's like the it's like. It's literally his words against Saoirse Ronan's, and no one's going to believe him for a myriad of reasons. And it's, like, the worst, like, possible scenario is that, like, they're separated, and they can, 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 can communicate through letters, unlike me who can't communicate through words. And, like, you know, just that pain, like, when that, like, at the end of, like, the whole Dunkirk scene, when he's in front of the, uh, like, the, the, the movie screen... And it's like this, like this, like reunion of like two people kissing, and he's just like bawling his eyes out. It's like this great contradiction between like the fictions and the stories, like we want to tell ourselves and that we crave, and like the reality, which said there are people who want to be together who just like aren't, and who mm -hmm. are like cruelly prevented from that actually happening. 
It's, I, like, truly tragic. It is, it is. a heart-wrenching tale. And it would be very manipulative, I feel like, and, like, would be the kind of thing I don't usually like if it weren't for, I think, the extra Sorcerer Ronan wrinkle. Because then mm. it actually makes you think about why, why, why do we want to read, read or watch stories like this? Like, what, what role do they play mm. in either satisfying our needs as the viewer slash reader or satisfying the writer's needs? Like, is it something they're trying to get off their chest? Or are they trying to absolve themselves of something? Like, it, it's, it's just kind of a movie. It, like, really interrogates the form of, like, storytelling. And there's a lot of, like, clever editing that, like, or it, like it literally, like, rewinds in one part. Um, you know, the way it shows things from different angles. There, there's a lot of... It, it's, it's way more than just, like, this sort of posh, stuffy you know, costume drama, which was, I was kind of, like, assumed it would be, because mm-hmm. that's how it looks, but, uh, it's not, it's, it's, it's a really, it's, it's, like, a surprisingly modern film. You're making me like this movie more. Right? It's, it's good, it's really, it's really good. good. <laughs> it's really good, like, and I was I, not expecting to like this that much, I but it's really good. I still think, I don't think I'm mad at the movie, okay, I think my thing is, I'm not mad at the movie, mm-hmm. I think I'm mad at, um, Sir Sharona's character, yeah. which we were from the first scene, so it's mm. like no big surprise there. Um, I don't like that she didn't write the book that she was meant to. Yeah, I, I don't think that that's as a pretend writer. I don't think that's doing justice. You're not a pretend writer. You actually write. And she's like old. Is like she does it at the end of her mm. life. Ugh, she be in jail. She escapes consequences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which is such. But all of the, like, I don't know. This, <laughs> it's this, so frustrating. I, it's, like, so real. It's, like, so, like, you've, like, witnessed this happen hundreds of times before. You know, us in our 20s, we've witnessed great and just, no, I don't know, but, like, I don't, like, it's a thing, like, this would totally happen. I yeah. can totally see this Oh, like, out. I could, I know people um, who would have done this. Um. Lars. What? <laughs> <laughs> um. It's just, it's, and the emotional, just like, uh, this movie is so sad. Right. It's so sad, but so... And it's a product of, like, pettiness, too, almost, right? Because she, it's like, she was clearly in love with James McAvoy. She says as much, yeah. almost, um, towards the end of the movie. Yeah. And so, like, she, her processing the fact that she would never be able to be with him, because there's, like, a, a pretty significant age difference is, is, like, part of it, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I remember my mom, when this movie came out, and it was announced that Saoirse Ronan was nominated for an Oscar, she was like, she's just a little brat. Like, she was so, <laughs> she felt very strongly about, about but as, as I think we all did. Yeah. Um, yeah. About how she really screwed things up for Kira and James. Yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk about how there's a pedophile in it? Well, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. So, so and the, and that's the, the other injustice. Yeah. <laughs> towards the end of the movie, she witnesses, and I guess this is like the crux for what motivates her, sort of to to confess. Yeah. Even though that happens fifty years later. Yeah. Um, it's like she witnesses Benedict Cumberbatch and not Shirley Temple's great granddaughter, <laughs> Juno Temple, getting married. Pitched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also a significant age difference. Yeah. Also an incredibly unhealthy relationship. Well, yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, duh. There's um, a very, like, but, we were all cringing yeah. when we first found oh, out yeah. what that dynamic was. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Oh, God, it was so gross. I'm surprised he's ever allowed to work in Hollywood again. I mean, he didn't actually do it. He did. You can <laughs> tell. He's a method actor. I, I wonder how actors do it, like, if they read her like that, and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to pass on this one, please. <laughs> like, I wonder how that works, but, um. 
But it, it is totally like a thing you would be like reading a history book and you'd be like, oh man, this famous dude is really messed up. Like he, it's always like, you know, like you can see yourself, at least I can see myself like reading about a well-known historical figure and like digging deeper and being like, oh, this was like a messed up dynamic between him and his wife. I feel like yeah. always. Yeah. Like so many. It's not, it's not like an uncommon Just thing. Just name them. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We, have we tell I learned about Kelsey uh, Grammer the other day. Yeah. Yeah. That. Kelsey Grammer. Bad person. Bad People listening. Guy. Yeah. All right. Well, Atonement uh, was nominated for costume design. Could have, probably should have won. Um, that, just for that one green jet. Dress. Which became, oh, like, iconic God. after. Oh. Keira Knightley, very attractive in this movie. Unpopular opinion, but <laughs> <laughs> they shoot her in a very uh, um, good way. So I could watch her smoke a cigarette all day is all I'm saying. Anyway, um, <laughs> nominated for cinematography, of course, for that one shot, which is amazing. Uh, art direction, a one original score, nominated for adapted screenplay. Um, <laughs> Lars is now looking at pictures of Keira Knightley I, in the dress. I don't remember what she looks like in the dress. She's so bony. Saoirse Ronan <laughs> was nominated for supporting actress, and it was, of course, nominated for best picture. Joe Wright! Really should have been nominated for Best Director, in my opinion, but... You know. Yes. Yes. Right? Like, I feel like the this is, like... The directing in this movie is really good. Right? I feel like it's one of the most, like, well-directed of the ones we've watched. Anyway, um, let's move on now to everyone's favorite movie from this year, Juno. Um, directed by Jason Reitman. Lars, can you name another movie directed by Jason Reitman? Um, You're gonna look it up now. Up in the air. Yes. Thank you for smoking. That's the one I was looking for, yeah. Did you know that? No. Okay. Directed by Jason Reitman. Uh, it's one of Lars' favorites. Um, not you, no. Thank you for smoking. Anyway, directed by Jason Reitman. Up in the air is also okay. It is. We'll be watching that in two cycles. Uh, written by Diablo Cody, starring Ellen Page, Michael Sarah, Jennifer Garner, Jason Bateman, Allison Janney, and J.K. Simmons. Um, so this is about Ellen Page, who plays Juno Guff McGuff, who is 16 years old. She has sex with her best friend who is a male, and she gets pregnant out of it. She's initially going to get an abortion. She then decides not to, and she connects with this um, older married couple who are looking for basically a, a child to adopt because they are having, having trouble conceiving. And it's about her, I guess, growing up process and her the relationship she forms with the um, husband in that relationship and the fallout from that, basically. Um, we all had some thoughts about this one, or at least two of us did. Lars is, Lars is poised. <laughs> I agree with your, your, how you've described the plot. The only problem is that it sucks! <laughs> this movie sucks so much! So I, I feel like we all, I feel like everyone in America watches this movie at some point in health class or something. I don't know. You know, you, you, we'd all see oh, it a few people times. People of a certain right? age. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I was like, oh, we'll just be rewatching this movie that I've seen. But, oh my god, I had such a visceral reaction <laughs> to this movie. It made me so angry. A, no one in the world talks the way that the people in this movie speak. Mm -hmm. She's like... The dialogue's really ridiculous. She's like... She walks in with her, with her orange juice and she sees Dwight Schrute at the counter <laughs> and he's like, what's the prognosis, fertile myrtle? Yeah. And she's like, oh, that little plus sign is so unholy. And he's like, this is one doodle that can't be undid, home that, skillet. That ain't no etch skillet Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no one would ever speak like that. I don't care. Weird. Um, 
I, I, feel like, like, I just feel like someone got really high and wrote that. And then they were just like, no editing. That's fine. It's, and I watched the opening sequence play of the like drawings walking. It made me so angry. Uh, it's it so just terrible. makes me so angry. That song. <laughs> that like. Oh, that they play like this, five <laughs> times. This, uh, no, they play the other one. They play the. Um, the monkey song. I was once a paper doodle. And I was pregnant and my noodle. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> is it? No, it, there's... Not lyrically. There's the one in it. It's, it's the Moldy Peaches song. It's the... Da, 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 oh, God, da, 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 stop! Stop! The Moldy Peaches are bad and Kimia Dawson is bad. That's my controversial-ish opinion on the music in this. For every good song it has, and they do have some good music... There are, like, two bad ones. Okay, I don't understand when it comes to music. I have a lot of things that I don't understand. But when it comes to music, she's her entire relationship with the the man mm-hmm. who she's going to give the baby to is based around horror movies, but also good music. Yeah. Why don't they play any of the music <laughs> I, I that know. she says she listens to? She's supposed to. to be really into, like, the first generation of punk rock. He's supposed to be into, like, 80s, 90s grunge and, like, indie rock. He's a zaddy. And, like... They don't play. They they only play. Yeah, this terrible like, like you know, like uh, like like anti folk music. It's not that great, except for like the one Bill and Sebastian song, and the one Kink song, Lars. Anyway, back to why this movie sucks. <laughs> um, so this is a movie about teen pregnancy. Yes, that's an important subject, and there are ways to cover this in a healthy, good way that would actually do justice to the health class you were probably forced to watch this in. They don't. They don't do that at all. I they would... don't actually talk about, like, the consequences and how you, like, emotionally would process this. She's just a blank slate, kind of not it, dealing with so it. So I, I think it tries to do... Kathleen, do you want to say something first? I want to hear what you say first. I think... I think... It, it tries to do that a little bit because she's obviously very flippant about the whole thing. And I, I think what you're supposed to see and what was supposed to happen is, like, the folly of her flippancy was supposed to come through. And she eventually realized, like, no, this is a big deal for, for like, these two people really just in for Garner. And, like, I'm going to be responsible in the way I handle this. And this is, like, it requires me to step up and be responsible. I don't think that comes through well enough, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. But I think that was the point. Um, and I have a larger point I can make about that unless you want to go first Catherine. I'm gonna go on a little bit of a rant okay and then I want to hear that because I think what you said was the closest to I've ever heard there being a point to this movie <laughs> because I would argue that this movie is indeed not about teen pregnancy mm. I would say that it has a character a main character a character who is pregnant and is a teen mm. it is not about teen pregnancy because they explore in no other ways other than her getting pregnant getting larger being hungry and then going to one ultrasound really anything that has to do with pregnancy um she has no really like other than that one um ultrasound technician who's just like oh good thing you're giving it away and then her like stepmom goes off on her there is no one giving her pushback for being pregnant she breaks down i think with to michael sarah and Mm. it's just like everyone treats me so different i look like a whale like blah 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 you never see her you don't, that's like a very tell moment. It's not a show moment, which mm-hmm. is my very least favorite thing in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see her act like that. And yeah, she is supposed to be flippant, but there are ways of writing flippant characters that show what is actually underneath that. A character isn't complexly, isn't complex if they're one note and she is one note the entire film. 
and we should have seen moments when she's alone feeling a different way. Um, then it's like, is this a coming-of-age movie? Probably. But there's, like, no really, like... She is, really doesn't have that much true, like, um, conflict, right? Mm-hmm. She is pregnant. That is a conflict. Yeah. But she very quickly decides what she's going to do and gets an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Her parents, like, relatively cool with the whole thing. Obviously not jazzed about her being pregnant, but they're like, yeah, you're going to take care of it? Cool. Take care of this, you know? Mm-hmm. No big deal. They're with her every way, like, step of the way. She keeps all of her friends. She keeps the guy who got her pregnant. Um, they remain good friends throughout the entire thing. Um, her, the guy's mother, who is said to really hate her, never says anything bad about her, even when she, like, Juno enters her house clearly eight months pregnant. Um, and then, like, there is just, like, she just gets to go live her life, and she's supposed to eventually learn, and the only conflict she ever sees is the conflict of, the like, the family that she's going to give the baby to getting divorced. And then, like, that's it. Yeah, and so that's kind of feeds into what I was going to say, which is that the kind of like this movie, and what the movie really is and should be about is Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. where everything interesting <laughs> happens. And I think that, so Diablo Cody wrote this when she was in like her late 20s about, and like, what I feel like, in some ways, I feel like the aesthetic of this movie it is sort of like one could argue is like kind of like millennial in a way. Like when I watched this movie, it gave me this really weird nostalgia rush of like mm-hmm. TV movies of like 2007. Like com- like remember the UPS commercials where it was the guy at the whiteboard like drawing pictures of UPS trucks and like the postal service. Oh, yeah. on it? Like it reminded me of that a lot. Like it reminded me of this this sort of like kitschy sort of like hand drawn like 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 sort of like a uh, you know like precocious child aesthetic that was popular in the day. Um, but what I, I think it really is, it's, it's kind of the story of, like, a Gen Xer learning to, like, not be as ironic or sarcastic anymore and realize that certain things really matter in life. And I feel like that's what the, the Jason Bateman, Jennifer Garner thing is about, because he's supposed to be, like, you know, like, like a Kurt Cobain kind of dude, or, like, a well, wannabe Kurt Cobain, which is all about, like, irony, nothing matters, very nihilistic, um... Sort of. That's a little bit of misreading of Kirk Cobain on my part, but you know what I mean. Um, and, and, and sort of, like, becoming, like, an actual adult and, like, letting go of certain adolescent notions, um, which is interesting, but I, I don't think... I, like I said, I think the focus is a little mis... misaimed. So... And I think this is, like, a good story at its core, but, like, the sort of, like, very... Like, the dialogue and like the the, the hamburger phone oh and all that stuff it's just very like there was one one uh one critic who said that it was trying to like confer hipness onto its like teenage audience where it was it wasn't actually representing what teenagers actually were like in 2007 it was trying to dictate what they should be like mm-hmm. and like turn it into like a piece of like cultural cash um yeah i i agree i think the jason bateman Jennifer Garner plot is like the most interesting. Right. Is, is I find like I, the most emotional part of this movie for me, um, and I actually do find this part genuinely emotional, is when like, so Jason Bateman like leaves. Mm-hmm. He can't deal with this. Um, and he leaves Jennifer Garner because she just, she wants a kid so badly and he's not there. Um, um, and, um, Juno uh, 
like writes her a letter mm-hmm. and it's like I'm still in if you are mm-hmm. and like ooh I like get the emotional drop of that every time that part's great um, and I like the like dynamic between like someone who really wants kids and someone who's just not ready like I feel like that's a good I, I, yeah I think that's mm-hmm. the most interesting part of the movie and Juno's almost just like a foil yeah it's like exactly. she's just kind of a device to tell that story but they don't really use it Right. We only get one, really one scene of Jennifer Garner and Jason Bateman alone, or like one mm-hmm. or two, and that's just like not enough. No. Um, like the scene when like they're they're like painting the nursery, and she's just like, "What did she do?" The co-? it's like kind of the old hacky joke where it's like, "Ah, oh, eggshell white versus white." Like, yeah. Um, the way women look at colors and the way men look at colors, but like it, it has this extra weight to it because it's about you know, he she's clearly thinking a lot about this thing, and he's just kind of along for the ride. Um, so, yeah. 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 Also, this is just a problem that has nothing to do with, like, that plot, but I just, there is zero chemistry between Michael, Sarah, and Juno. Like, they're supposed to be best friends, but it's very, I didn't, like, realize that until I've seen this movie multiple times and had to think about it. Like, it seems like they're strangers. It, 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 I almost feel like it should have shown them being friends before they got pregnant. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just kind of dives right into it, which, for, like, runtime purposes, makes sense. But, yeah, I, I would agree that you don't... They're feeling like a band together, which yeah. is, like, close, you know? Yeah. And you never really... Get the, it, it's weird, yeah. Yeah. I feel like they're also two of the least chemistrical people. Yeah, I would agree. Like, she, like, and she's a great... I don't know how great Michael Sarah is. We can debate that at a different podcast. Have you she, seen him like, in Twin Peaks? Yeah. But, like, he's, like, intentionally not... Like yeah, <laughs> chemistry. He has like a type, right? He's yeah, just kind of like typecast. Yeah, call it. Um, <laughs> and she's a great actress. Like she's really good in Inception or whatever. But like she's also just kind of like uh, I don't know. She's not like a chemistry. She's like a set of quirks, not an actual character. Yeah. Right, is part of the problem. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Juno. Juno. Close it sucked. <laughs> uh, it won original screenplay. Uh, much to our protestations. Uh, Alan Page was nominated for actress. Jason Reitman was nominated for director. It was nominated for best picture. Let's move on now to Michael Clayton, uh, which was directed by Tony Gilroy, written by Tony Gilroy, stars George Clooney, Tom Wilkinson, Tilda Swinton, and Sidney Pollack. Um, Michael Clayton is a fixer for some big fancy Manhattan law firm, and he goes out and fixes problems. Yeah, he's the <laughs> um, greatest. And he well, one of his big sort of things is there's this this one partner in the law firm who is bipolar and will frequently have episodes and Michael has to kind of make sure he's on his medication and all that and he is this one lawyer played by Tom Wilkinson is representing a weed killer company called U North um, whose product is accused of being carcinogenic of killing um, giving cancer to people much like Roundup would a few years later um, and so. Uh, Come and he, get us, Monsanto. He has a breakdown, sort of falls in love with one of the plaintiffs, and basically finds, like, the smoking gun, the documents that'll bust the whole case open. He goes rogue and is going to reveal it. Um, and the movie is basically Michael Clayton trying to get to him and, like, kind of protect him in a way um, and solve the problem on his end while um, the law firm and the company do it their own way and there's kind of a bit of a game of cat and mouse to it it's kind of hard to explain the plot it 
yes. It's it's almost it's very it's very it's a very tight plot, but like it's a lot that happens. Yeah, yeah, a um, lot of moving parts. And but then there's a lot of stuff like happening in Michael Clayton's family life. Like he's 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 in like debt. Um, it's like maybe ten minutes of screen time though. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't. You guys were saying last night that it kind of is like eh. I I think it's like there just to kind of like add a little flavor and add interest to the fact that he's grappling with like he's himself as a person yeah um but it's it doesn't it doesn't take up a lot of time guys come on (laughs) but i think it distracts i so that's but that's the point is he's distracted michael clayton is the greatest man in the history of earth and he's distracted by these human (laughs) problems well i think it's the opposite (laughs) i think it's the opposite he's coming to realize that he's far from the greatest human (laughs) man on earth and he the, the point is that like he's coming to terms with his existence as like an empty suit who does errands for bad people yeah. and like what that really means, what that does to him, what it does to the people around him and all of that. Um, I think my biggest problem with this movie, and it's like, it's fine. I don't think it's bad. It's like fine. Is that, so the movie begins with him going out to this one guy's house in like Westchester who he just like hit a guy off his car and he's driving back and he gets out of his car and he sees these horses, walks with these horses, like check them out. <laughs> what the Oh, no, the reason is, is because um, when he sees Tom Wilkinson and they're talking about, like, involuntary institutionalization or whatever, um, and he, and Tom Wilkinson goes through the laws in New York and he goes, I hope you have the horses for that. And then Tom Wilkinson dies. And so I feel like he sees the horses as, like, a, a message from Tom uh, Wilkinson. Whoa. I thought he was contemplating the horse's freedom versus his own. I, it could also it's, be that. I think it's, I think it's, it's, both. it's left to interpretation. <laughs> but while he does that, his car explodes. And then we get a four days later title card. And it shows what happens. Four days earlier. Four days earlier title card. And it shows what happens leading up to his car exploding. I feel like... I thought it was terrible. I, I don't know why they did that. It was terrible. <laughs> I don't really think it served the plot oh, well. I, oh, I like it. Okay. I, I think it works. Cause it, so it's like, the movie starts, and it's like, like you said, he, he's got this kind of, this guy who had hit a guy with his car. So it, totally irrelevant to the plot is Michael Clayton's initial quest is he has to go deal with that. Um, and then it's like, he goes and sees the horses. You're like, what's going on? We're only five minutes into this movie. This is so weird. Why is he like fondling the horses, <laughs> touching the horses? And then he doesn't actually touch. Yeah. He's not touch them. <laughs> at he looks all. at them. And then the car. Why is he ogling the horses? And then, <laughs> and then his car blows up, and it's like, what? And he's like looking around, and there's like, I don't, I don't know. It's not. I don't know if it's a surprise or like an understanding or like there's just this look George George Clooney's faces in this movie are so good um so good it, it is I it's interesting because I feel like George Clooney always supposed to play like the handsome rogue yeah but in this he's just definitely like a really like depressed like right dude. like it's the most like drained of life I've seen him in like a good way in yeah. like a purposeful way yes um anyway and then it's like four days earlier and so you're sort of wondering what's going to build up to that explosion and you eventually I guess piece together that it's the guys that the company has sent after him um, but you still kind of don't understand the jump between where George Clooney lose, uh, leaves it and then like the drunk driving thing and I guess right. that's the point is that like he now has this another repetitive task that's like just doing nothing and helping a bad guy like get away with something and that's kind of like he kind of snaps in between those um, and so you're witnessing like you're witnessing him 
snap mm-hmm. over this like slow period. I I like it. I think I, I like yeah. it. I don't know. This is not exactly a Lars movie, but it's closer to a Lars movie. It's definitely a Lars movie. Okay, I didn't <laughs> want to put that on you, but if you're gonna say, I that, really like this. Movie. Um. So I will just quickly explain my watching of this movie because. Usually when I see movies that are dark and blue tinted, I'm like, I'm not going to be interested in this. Um, I didn't see the four days late earlier title card. So I took the, I took the entire movie until it all circles back as chronological. And I must say that that did not affect my watching of this movie whatsoever. I thought I was on board with every single thing. Um, and it set up his character exactly the same. I thought that his car blew up either because he was, it was the guy who hit the guy's car and they were blowing up to get rid of evidence or because his car just was janky. Like, honestly, I didn't think that much part of it. Um, Um, you could have done it the, the other way where you could have had that happen at the end, but it's, you know, it's kind of marketed as a thriller. I don't think it detracts. And it, like, sets up the theme in, like, this is building to, like, a climactic moment. Someone wants to kill another person. And that's kind of, like, lingering over the entire film where they're talking about, like, legal, oh, the lawsuit. And it's, like, this clearly got escalated. And you know that. I mean, I didn't. But (laughs) I, so the rest of the movie to me just felt like an episode of Archer. Where it was just, like, (laughs) what's the most ridiculous thing we can do? All right, do it. Where it's, like... Okay, because to me, like, Michael Clayton, like, I could so see when Michael Clayton approaches, like, that other guy, his partner who went off his meds. Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. And he's just, like, yelling at him, trying to get him to snap it together. I could so see a comedic take on that, Mm -hmm. where it's, like, Archer yelling, but of course, like, less sensical, but just the same. Um, The decision for U North, the Monsanto company to kill people, like, they have two guys, like, that's, like, Barry from Archer, you know? Like, just someone, like, tracking the other one down, kind of slightly messing some things up, um, but eventually killing them, and then everyone's like, oh, no, what happened? And then they're after, like, the real spy, they're after Archer now. Like, it was an Archer episode, and I found it very uncompelling. I, I disagree. <laughs> there, there was a lot of, like, stern speechifying in this, where it's just, like, that, that I thought was a little self-serious. Where there's just a lot of George Clooney being like, look here, mister, this is what's going to happen. Blah, 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 yeah. blah. Which, now that I think about it, like, maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's like he's gotten to this routine of trying to intimidate people and convince them to do what he wants them to do. Mm. So maybe that's part of it. But at the same time, I just feel like it happened a lot. Yeah, um, and I think that was for me. It, it, like, I didn't know if it was because we've been watching so many movies that there are dialogue tropes Hmm. that now I'm picking up on but I was just like all of this felt very like by the books Mm that it felt like nothing was out of place nothing was interesting or unique it was just like the most the the plot honestly the plot was so standard it felt like yeah I I guess and that's 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 to me like the whole Amity arrest thing feels almost like them trying to like spice up the plot like I, that, and that's kind of my thing is like I yeah I agree that the like burning car at the beginning like I like how Lars described it that made sense but at the same that time is. I don't know I guess it, it really didn't feel like it made a ton of sense to me I, I think the ending's really good like I think yes. that's the best part 
when he does his little routine of like trying to get Tilda Swin to pay him off, and I'm like, oh, I was wearing a wire, and then she gets arrested, and then he goes and he just drives around in a taxi for a little bit. I thought that was really good. Oh. Uh, the scene <laughs> where the credits are rolling and he's just like looking out of the taxi window for two minutes yeah is so good I get chills yeah. um, he's so good like George Clooney is never like this good and he's good like you don't associate with him with like the greatest actor of all time but he's like you said he's just has so, like, he aged ever no I feel no. like he came out of the womb <laughs> looking like that yeah he's always been like a silver fox he's just he's such he's so sad and depressed and it shows. He is one, I think, of all, of most of the people in the world, he's, like, top five best looking in, like, a suit. Like, he, he can yes. wear the hell out of a suit, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he can get the tie, like, he perfectly manipulates his ties to be as tight or as, like, not tight as he wants them to be. Like, in, like, a plain black suit. I don't know that anyone looks better in one than, than George Clooney. I dare our listeners to find someone. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, anything else on Michael Clayton? I, I think the editing's really good. I think the directing's really good. I think the delivery's really good. I think this film is very snappy and very tight. I think this is a very smart movie. That's very so like, tightly edited and very cleverly like compiled. Tilda Swinton won Best Foreign Actress. Do they have thoughts about that? Yeah, I don't agree. I don't agree, but only because she doesn't really do anything. Yeah, she's not in it for that long. Yeah. Um, but what I did find interesting was... Her, her evolution of this, like, really, like, this person on the verge of a mental breakdown to a person who almost has it all figured out, to a person who does have a mental breakdown, where it's, like, I, I do like how they show her, um, like, giving that sort of, like, interview, and it cuts between her actually giving the interview and her rehearsing it, she's, like, getting dressed in the morning. Mm. Um, and there's, like, two or three other times where that happens throughout the film, or she's trying to like talk to a client or talk to a plaintiff or something like that. But if you notice, when she gives like her final speech to the board of U North, when she's telling them to take the settlement, um, she it cuts between her giving the speech and her getting dressed. But you don't see a rehearsal when she's getting dressed because she thinks Michael Clayton's dead. She thinks everything's hunky dory, um, and so it's like she's she's like ah, I I finally reached peace by killing this guy. <laughs> um, but then it all gets thrown back in her face when he shows up at the end. Um, I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I don't know, she doesn't do... That's more of an editing thing, almost. No, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like, it's weird. This is So this is a thing I've noticed, I've found out about acting, where it's like... I feel like... Because, well, like, when the shows are having a mental breakdown, and they're like, ah, oh, that's really good acting to pretend to have a mental breakdown. I'm like, ah, oh, that person's having a mental breakdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I realize that sometimes it's like, oh, yes, people have to, like, pretend to die and things like that in movies. I just take for granted that, like, their character is dying, and therefore, of course, they would act that way. Yeah. Which makes, which I might discredit me as someone trying to assess the value of movies, but who knows. Which I have comments on in a movie we'll discuss later about that. Okay. Alrighty. Are we got Michael Clayton, then? Yeah. It was nominated for original score, original screenplay, Tilda Swinton, like we said, one for Best Supporting Actress, Tom Wilkinson, nominated for Supporting Actor. I do like his monologues. Hmm. Like I love, I like, I do like the way it opens, where it's like his like crazy ranting on on the phone. Um, George Clooney nominated for best actor, Tony Gilroy for best director, and I was nominated for best picture. Moving on now to No Country for Old Men, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen, written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, based on the novel of the same name by Cormac McCarthy, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, um, and Callie MacDonald. Uh, so 
Jokic for old men. Josh Brolin's this guy. He's out hunting in Texas for antelope, I believe. Um, and he sees this weird scene, which he realizes is like a drug deal gone wrong. Everyone there's dead, for the mo- except for one guy. He um, he realizes that there's just a bag full of like a million, however many millions of dollars. He picks it up, um, and then leaves. And then the people who, for who, to whom the money was owed um, set uh, Javier Bam's character, Anton Shuru, sort of like on the loose to try and track him down um, to get the money back. And it's just this cat and mouse game between Javier Bardem and Josh Brolin. Kathleen, this was your first time seeing this movie. What did you think? It was good. Yeah? Yeah, like, I... Th- I, it's like I recognize this is a good movie. This is definitely not a Kathleen movie, mm-hmm. and I thought I was gonna like it more than I did. Um, there was plot, which is not always my favorite thing. <laughs> um, I don't know. It was fine. Like that's really all I can say. I think like the bad guy is really cool. I think he kind of makes the movie like he's just kind of out there, mm-hmm. um, and in a place that's kind of so desolate and so just like like they live in a trailer and stuff like things that are just so do they live in a trailer yes yeah the things that are just so like small and like known and very mundane Mm -hmm. it's like he's just like not human he's not of their world i thought that was really fun um i don't think i learned anything from this movie is what i will say and i think that's kind of the point I think the point is that a lot of people die, some money changes hands, and nothing changes. Yeah. Do, do you agree, Lars? Or do you have other thoughts on this movie? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think I agree, though. Mm. Um, I don't know. I think this movie's pretty bad. Just kidding. <laughs> this is one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, gotcha. Um, I, don't, I feel like the performances really sell this movie. Oh, yeah. Um probably more so than anything else it, it, they're so weird yeah but they're so good like i I'm sorry to like st- step on you but like i always thought that this like this, so this is a coen brothers movie and i, I always had in my mind that it's like it wasn't a very coen's coen brothers movie because mm. it, it is so dark and like they, they have like they, i always think of coen brothers being like dark comedies where it's like yeah. fargo's dark but at the end it's all kind of a joke <laughs> yeah <laughs> the cat just startled that plane um <laughs> Whereas I'm like, this is just so dark. But at the same time, it is it is actually like there are like lines that are like pretty funny, and it is like this 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 i this idea of like the, these just kind of like weirdos, kind of like they get lucky, they get they get a big score, and then they get wrapped up in things bigger than them, which is like a classic Coen Brothers plot. It just so happens that Josh Brolin is actually competent and actually does a really good job of fending off Javier Bardem for a period of time. But go on. Um, yes. Um... Javier Bardem's character, Anton, yes, yes, um, is like, I, I was thinking, because he reminds me of someone, and I can't quite, it's like, kind of the Terminator, and then he's just like, relentlessly mm-hmm. coming, but it's, I think it's more like Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. It's like, it's very like, heads or tails, so like, yeah, like he's, yeah. um, um, it's very. Uh, he, he like toys with right. He 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 toys with his victims. Yeah, um, and, but he's got this like he's just like relentlessly coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's a force of nature. It's kind of creepy, um, and he's just he's so creepy, 
Um, it's just very well done. I also think, other than the acting, um, it's this movie looks really good. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like the part um, where they're at the hotel, like where mm-hmm. um, Josh Brolin is like hiding in a hotel, and like someone's going door to door, and then there's this like great hotel fight where like he has to jump out the window and then run back downstairs and they're on the street um um the parts where he's like crossing over into Mexico are really good um he's just like bloodied and terrible and there's like these frat bros walking yeah. back into America <laughs> and he's like oh god I need your coat yeah um which is a very Terminator movie right um it's like you can see like the influences, but I think it's just like so new and unique. I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of really like the the like dynamic of because it's the only thing that, I don't. I don't know if I'd even call it a western. It's like it takes place in the West, mm-hmm. but it's so like thrillery, yeah. Almost. Um, I just think it's a very unique movie in that it like places it puts people from other things in a place that they're not usually a place and like with a story that's kind of unique. Yeah, I would agree. And what what I... It, it's like it's like a modern Western, right? It's like... Yeah. It, there's sort of like this idea where it's like... Um, you know, you, you can only escape out into the desert and the wilderness for, for so long, right? Like, you can't really do that anymore, so I'm going to track, track you down. But, like... One thing I appreciate about this movie is I feel like... You know, we kind of talked about how, like, oh, like, money changes hands, some people die, and, like, nothing happens, right? Mm. It's a very nihilistic movie, mm. and it's a very, like, it's obviously very dark and all of that, but, like, I feel like it doesn't insist upon that darkness, and it lets it happen as a matter of fact. Um, and it, there, there's never, like, you never really get the sense that there's going to be some grand statement on evil or right. darkness or violence or anything like that. It just kind of lets it happen, yeah. and in that sense makes it more persuasive about you know kind of like what the the what what perhaps the Coleman's think is like the inherent meaningless of life or or or, or not maybe not means of life but like but like the inherent chaos of life yes it's very and you know it ends uh Javier Bardem is like hit his car gets hit mm-hmm. um which is chaotic and random mm-hmm. and he like goes and takes the clothes well he like pays mm. these like middle schoolers or whatever to give him his clothes mm. and just kind of like walks off yeah um bloodied and beaten just ribs sticking out yeah. yeah it's very it's very just like and it goes on yeah <laughs> which I, I think is i i really love that for like a couple of reasons like one is that like hot like anton sugar is like built up as this like like i said this force of nature um, when they, like, the one guy interviews Woody Harrelson about, like, trying to track down Anton Shurgu, who's trying to track down Josh Brolin, and he's like, how dangerous is he? And then Woody Harrelson goes, like, compared to, like, what, the bubonic plague? Like, it's pretty fucking, like, dangerous. But, um, and it builds him up like this, but then there are two scenes, like, there's the one shootout he has with Josh Brolin, like, when Josh Brolin, like, like escapes from that, the hotel, and they're, like, hiding behind, like, the cars. Yeah. And, like, he gets, like, nipped by a bullet and he's kind of like in shock that he got shot um and then there's the ending where he gets hit by a car and he's also like in shock of what happens where it's like doesn't matter how much of a badass you think you are or how much of a badass people think you are you're still like human and you're still like completely you're still just like flesh and blood and you're still totally vulnerable to everything that happens what i also like about that is that you know this is a movie 
about a guy who finds money and sort of like it just takes money that clearly isn't his um, and gets in over his head and there are people who are trying to find it and like don't care if he dies or not and then there's uh, Javier Bird I mean just kind of seems like he's doing it for the sport of it but what I like when he gets hit by the thing um, he, he tries to pay the, the kid for a shirt and initially the kid's like look I don't mind like you don't have to pay me like I don't mind helping you out which it's like not everybody's bad some people are will literally give you the clothes off their backs if you know even if you don't deserve it like like Javier Bardem's character so there, there is these sort of like, and the whole, the whole, the whole reason that like uh, Josh Rowling gets caught is because he goes back to give water to the one guy who's still dying in the truck at like the messed up shootout. Yeah. So um, there, 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 there. As much as it, it, it sort of like focuses on brutality and chaos and randomness, there is still uh, a the kindness still exists, even if it's small and inconsequential. The other thing, I was talking about how it's like sort of a western, but not, is like, uh, talking about Tommy Lee Jones in this movie is interesting, because he's like the cop, Mm. but he doesn't actually like, matter. Yeah. Like, like the cop doesn't actually like, change the outcome, it's like, it is criminal versus guy, um, or like outlaw versus guy. Um, and Tommy Lee Jones is, I guess, like ostensibly on their trail or like mm. reading about it and like following, right. um, but not consequential. Mm. Um, though he does something at the end, or they like talk, mm. or is, yeah, um, is it's just like the cops, they just kind of mm. don't matter. Yeah, um, and it, 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 which is perhaps a comment on like you know the uh, the inevitable of it all or well inevitability and the futility of trying to govern yeah men in nature yeah and i I think that's kind of interesting where like you have javier redem who's like so given to chaos that he judges if he's going to kill people by a coin flip and when he's confronted by like or when he confronts josh roland's widow he asks her to call the coin she's like no like if you really wanted to you could just kill me and like not tell me what the coin said it literally does not matter if i do that or not yeah so there's like that sort of pushback against this like ah fate kind of thing. Um, yeah. Josh Brolin's death in this movie is very like shocking to me every time. Because mm-hmm. I always forget that he just like he just he dies. Yeah, they don't really show it. Um, it's it's so like jarring because you're like oh well, obviously he's gonna survive, but he just he just gets shot and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nothing matters. No. I'm old and I'm not well. That's a funny line in that movie I just remembered. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that's No Country for Old Men. It was nominated for sound mixing, sound editing, editing, cinematography, one adapted screenplay, Javier Bardem won for supporting actor, the Coen brothers won for director, and won best picture. Yes. Rounding things out, there will be blood. Directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Written by Paul Thomas Anderson, based on the novel Oil by Upton Sinclair. Starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Paul Dano, Kevin J. O'Connor, Kieran Hines, and Dylan Frazier, Frazier, however you pronounce his last name. Uh, so this is the story about an oil man named Daniel Plainview and his son, H.W. And they're approached one day by this guy named Paul Sunday, and he's like, hey... There's oil on my family's farm. If you give me like 500 bucks or whatever, I'll tell you 
how to get it, give you all the details. They do that. They go to the farm. They're like, there is oil here. They strike a deal with the town uh, to build a bunch of oil wells there. And the story is basically about how them building the oil wells in this town, the rivalry between Daniel Plainview and Eli Sunday, who's like the local preacher and Paul's brother, for like control of the town, basically. Hmm. And then... Uh, Daniel Plainview's son, who goes son, quote-unquote, he's like his adoptive son, who goes deaf after an accident at one of the oil uh, derricks. Um, yeah. Kathleen, this was your first time seeing this as well. Yeah. What'd you think? I, have more thing, I think more about this than the other one. Okay. This was a great movie. Ah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. So go on. Um, I think, like, for me, I will tell you why I liked this. Um... The plot to me dragged a lot. Okay. It kind of went nowhere, but things happened, so it was compelling and nice. But it was like, I was not attached to this film because I thought the plot was engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, I was attached to it because, like, it was so beautiful. Like, everything about this film is so beautiful. Like, and then, okay, talking about, like, forgetting an actor is an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, Daniel Day-Lewis, I feel like, was that role. You know? Like, there was... Everything was so believable. Everything was so real about him. And it, he was so, like... He cracked in such realistic and beautiful and irreparable ways. Um, and then it just was, like... The way that I've been describing this movie to people I talk to about it... Like, walking through the... Like, watching this movie felt like walking through a museum where there's so much to look at and everything's so gorgeous and you like get such rich, rich history from everything. There's different dynamics. You like uncover weird hidden gems and stuff. And like every scene is so like beautiful. Um, that's why I like this film is because I thought I was like, I thought this was like an art experience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a movie. It was like a truly in, like experience. It was an experience experiential experience. How many times do I say that? Like, I immersive. Don't, immersive, thank you. Immersive experience. That's the adjective I wanted. Um, and then I think the other part was that, like, it. I think out of all the movies, we've, we've watched some dark movies, you know, some heavy movies. I think this was the heaviest because there is no, there's no counteracting lightness, right? Mm. Um, there's no, you know, comedic outlet. There's no nothing. It just gets darker and darker and darker and like you get more and more and more into like the head of Daniel Day Lewis um and like I think you even like as people kind of leave his life it gets more and more and more into him um and then even in one of the last scenes where he's you know talking to the preacher who comes to visit him there's a he kind of goes off on him and it's just his face you're looking at and you have had no breaks from him the entire film. He's in nearly every scene. Like, everything is about him and him descending further and further and further. It's so heavy. And then you have the scene where you can't even look away because there's nothing left in the frame to look at. It's just his face. And he is truly at his most insane and psychotic. It's so much, you mm-hmm. know? That's how I feel about this film. Well said. I, li- I like that. It's like a museum. That's actually a really good way. Thank you. That, that, that <laughs> like, perfectly kind of captures it. Is it is. It's, like, it's kind of, it's quieter than I remember it being. It's, like, very visual and very... There's no dialogue for, like, the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Right, and very, 
And I thought that that, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, okay. but I thought that that was a thing. I thought there was going to be incredibly little dialogue in this movie. Like, I was like, oh, I was trying to remember back to when this movie came out to think if that was something that people commented on. I was like, is this going to be a largely silent movie? But it didn't end up being, but... Um, I, I feel like the parts people remember from this movie are exclusively in, like, the last 15 minutes. It's like, that's where all the lines are, and all the, like, everything blows up. Um, I mean, not everything, but... Relevant to your interest, <laughs> did you know that the milkshake line was inspired by, like, uh, like, the congressional, or, like, a Senate, like, debate? No. Yeah. That was creepy, that um, line. Pete Dominici, like, that's how he, ex- who sent her from New Mexico, mm-hmm. like, that's how he explained, like, how oil worked was, like, the straw on the milkshake. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway. That um, was such a disturbing line to me. I, I think it's... it's So... The film that... To go back a few years, that this kind of makes me think of a lot is The Aviator. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, it, totally. Is, is, is they're very... They follow a life... It's like, if this were a biopic, it would be a great biopic. It's not, because it's not... Sort of is, but it's not real. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about, like, the difference. It's like, The Aviator's kind of more a beat and more, like... Golly! <laughs> whereas, <laughs> whereas this is very much like um, the, the the dangers of obsession, like mm-hmm. the the wildness and just like the lengths you will go to. Um, but I I feel like the Aviator wasn't like this. This film is about like the individual and about like America. Mm-hmm. And Michael has a better point on this than I have. But I I, th- I think this this film is more personal. Whereas Aviator was just like, this is a story about a, a great person who yeah. had some problems. It's like, mm-hmm. this is just like, this is the story of you. And you need to confront these things within mm-hmm. yourself and watch him confront them. Doesn't and, do that helpfully. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's kind of like the great, the, the great. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the great, like, what's driving you? What kind of person do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And like, when given power and resources, what would you do? How far would you go? Would you lie? What matters to you? Um, and like every chance he has to prove that his family matters or like doing the right thing matters, he kind of just like lets it go. It's like he puts his kid on a train. He's like, I'm going to go check with the conductor and jumps off the train and just leaves. Like abandons his child. Um, he abandoned his child. He abandoned his boy. <laughs> um, and like... That's, I was about to say, that's legit. <laughs> no, but like, but like that's, that. there's like a part of you, right? There's a part of all, each of us that's like, should I look out for this person or should I look out for number one, me? <laughs> but like, kind of. It's like, it's the ultimate <laughs> capitalist thing. Right. It, it's like, it, what is, I, like, no matter how pure you are, there is never going to be a moment where you're not like... I don't know, I really don't, I really wish I didn't have to deal with this right now. Mm. I wish I could just do what I want to do. Mm. Um, maybe don't go as far as Mr. Plain <laughs> Yeah, Michael has a better uh, point on, on that brand. On an episode of the $600 podcast, uh, which is good, and you should listen to it, even though they're not making new episodes. Like, Justin Halpern talks about how, like, he's like, I love my family, but there's sometimes when I'm driving home that, like, mm. I just really want to drive right past my house and keep going. Um, so I think it's a relatable feeling. What, uh, yeah, so my, the great point Lars just sees was that, so this is like, I feel like this movie is like a clash between the two 
like founding purposes of America in a way, where the first English colony was Jamestown, and that was built basically as a tobacco plantation. Oh, what about Roanoke? Well, the first permanent <laughs> one was built as a tobacco plantation, and people went there to get rich. Whereas the second one was Plymouth, and that was built as, like, a religious haven. And not just, like, as a place where, like, the Pogues could go and, like, not get harassed by, like, the Anglicans or whatever. It was, like, they want, like, you know, the whole beacon on a hill thing, right? Like, they wanted to create God's kingdom on earth, convert the savages, all of that. Um, And here, as, you know, America goes westward, they converge in California, like, right as far as they can possibly go. And they fight for the hearts and minds of the people of Little Boston. So it's this clash between, like, the, the moralism of religion and sort of, like, the prosperity of capitalism, basically, and, and, and just them going at it. And, and I love how the, uh, like, they, they don't, um, Paul Dino's like, oh, like, let me bless the well before you start um, drilling. And uh, Daniel Lewis, like, big times him and, like, blesses it himself, basically, and then, like, the night after that happens, there's an accident at the well. And it's like they, you know, they, they kind of, like, rebuffed this Christian guy. And they're literally digging into the depths of hell. And then, like, hellfire and, like, gas just, like, spits up. Like, they're literally, like, they're, like, descending into, like, unholiness. And in the face of, like, this, this dude, who is bad news, by the way. He's not a good character. Um, and, and just, like, this sort of, like... It's just like they basically like sold their soul to the devil, I guess, and like it, it, it's they're reaping the reward, which is just like this big wooden oil derrick is just up in flames. Like it's just that's such a powerful image to me, of like just like, mm. and I think that's probably my favorite part of the movie is like during that whole thing, like the score is amazing. Like we're just like this like random percussion going on. Um, it's also the most harrowing part of the movie because it's when his son goes deaf, and you're like, fuck, man, like I know it's gonna happen, like it just like really sucks, but like. It's also just like kind of amazing. Um, it's the that fire sequence and like the way the sky looks is yeah. so good. Yeah, and like what you said, like the this is like yeah, amazingly shot. Like this, this is the by far the best. And there were some really good looking movies this year. I think this was by far the best mm-hmm. looking. Um, just absolutely stunning, uh, and it's interesting. Like the whole family thing is interesting to me too, because in a way he is kind of starved for a family, right? He, he adopts the son that's not his own after the son's father dies. And there's a man who shows up who claims to be his brother. He later finds out it isn't actually him. And, like, the hurt in finding out that he's not his brother seems pretty real. Like, finally there's someone else he can relate to and kind of have as his own. But then it turns out it isn't actually him, and he kills him. He murders him. And that's just, like, you know, it's a real bummer. Sort of at the core, he, he is reaching out for connection, but he ultimately decides that being sort of radically self-interested is easier and uh, pursues that path instead. And just goes nuts. Let's talk about where is I? Is anyone in this film good? The son. The son. No, I know. And, 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 and the son's wife. his eventual wife. Yes. I, I just think it's interesting that the great, the two great founding ideals of America, as you said, they're both bad yeah yes they're both basically forms of control and like right self uh what's that word self-enriching basically because the paul dano ends up becoming like a like a a televangelist basically before there was tv like he's like a radio preacher Mm -hmm. and he's like 
he's like, I've been tested in so many ways, which is just, like, he's clearly been getting, like, laid a lot. Like, you know, he's clearly just, yeah. like, not... And the line to her, he's like... But who would? He's like, I, I, I couldn't foresee the panics in our economy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was really funny for some reason, but go on. Yeah, that was good. The... Well, so that... What? No, what do you say? So that... So I recently finished this book called What's the Matter with Kansas? And it's about those two things. It's, like, how both capitalism and, like, this religious, like, right, but, like, faux religion, mm-hmm. like, ruined middle America. Um, and I think this movie is, like, the exact same. It's, it's sort of saying, like, no, these two are both bad, and then when they're combined together, this is just hellish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that, that's all. I just It tells it very well. Yeah. Let's talk about the last scene. This is very striking. Uh, literally. Um, <laughs> on many different ways, because it's a bully alley. So yeah, bullying yeah. alley, so strikes. Okay, I, I, I just thought it was so pretty, in like a really <laughs> awful way, and the way that I find like Pulp Fiction pretty, where the camera backs up, and we have Daniel Day-Lewis standing over Paul Dano's now bludgeoned body, and there's just red blood and he's got the club that he beat him with which was a bowling, bowling pin and I think it's like what I was to go back to what I said before um it was this movie just constantly builds on top of herself you never get a break ever it's just worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and every time he has the opportunity to like when he talks to his son after his son gets married when there's that option for things to be quieter to be a more intimate moment he just like bulldozes he literally is so cruel to his son in that moment mm-hmm. Um, and then at this final part, he, he reaches his like absolute worst where he forces Paul Dano essentially to denounce his God and his, you know, his connection with the divine, which he, Paul Dano does quite willingly. And then he just rips that back. Like, Oh, like I'm not even giving you what I promised you. Which he, he does so that he, he basically promises Paul that he'll go in to this one track of land that they weren't able to, to, to drill um, but then he reveals that through drainage, he was yeah, actually taking has it, it the whole time. Yeah. Um, but that also happens earlier, where Paul kind of makes him go through the same thing. Yes. It's like he makes him like convert to the church, pretend convert to the church or whatever, to get land rights for the pipe. Yeah. Um, so it was going back on that. I just feel like I think Paul Dano at that point though was in a much worse position than yeah. Daniel Day Lewis was. Um, where that was more of a tactical move on Daniel Day-Lewis's part, as much as he didn't want to do it. Um, Paul Dano was really at this terrible point in his life, and he pulled away, like, last tread or whatever, and then he just murders him. And that, like, literally after that murder scene, as brutal as it is, it's the first time you get to breathe, and it's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because it just backs up, he's standing there, and it's quiet. And that conflict is finally gone, because it's literally dead, right? He beat his main adversary to death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's quiet, and then the movie ends. And the last lines are literally, I'm finished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who Who are you rooting for in that final confrontation? Neither. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're rooting for Eli to just, like, not die. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I, I find myself... Like, I hate, I really don't like Eli. No, he, no, he's I terrible. Just, I like, it's not like I want either of them to die, <laughs> but, like, I'm definitely rooting for Daniel, in a way. 
I think I'm I rooting know. for Eli to not die, but to learn his lesson and leave forever. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because yeah. it, it makes it's it's interesting where I feel like Eli, what makes him perhaps more like galling than Daniel is that Daniel's very transparent about his values, mm-hmm. even though he goes through the whole like family business thing. Seems like he does legitimately believe that for a little bit, and then. He, I, I I disagree. I think he's a liar. I and think, I think like he yes. has a connection with his son in the beginning. No, I think he just uses the kid to have the family business thing and has a line. Okay, I agree with that. But um, when his son, after the accident, his son is deaf and can't hear anything, he lies with his son. They're covered in oil. Mm-hmm. He's lying with him, just like petting his son's head. It's like the one tender moment. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's like, I have to believe that there's a legitimate connection. Yeah. Like a bit, but then he runs off to go yeah. with the fire. True. Yeah. Um, like, it's not little, perfect. I'm not saying, not perfect, yeah, I'm not saying that, like, he doesn't love his son. I'm just saying it's not all there. And, like, he clearly fails at, like, when his son is most vulnerable, mm-hmm. he, like, fails to do what's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. So I mean, then he does go he, ahead and, like, drug his son until he, he figures out what to do with him. Yeah. And he lies and he cheats and he steals and he kills and he, like, pretends to convert to a religion just to get what he wants. I don't think he's honest or transparent at all is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. But, but whereas, like, Eli's, like, oh, like, he, he puts on this very holy front. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He pretends to be a healer. Um, and he pretends to be so holy, but then he's, he's just as, like, greedy, um, and as, as, uh, underhanded as, as Daniel is. Yeah. Um, which is why, in some ways, one could argue he's worse, but I guess Daniel's also not straightforward at all. Well, I think my issue with that is that, like, I think out of religion and capitalism, like, capitalism, in my opinion, oh, I always assume the worst of it, Mm -hmm. where it's, I don't really expect anyone who's working in a field like that to be totally genuine, Mm -hmm. you know? And the people who are following Daniel Day-Lewis, like, yes, he promises the town wealth and all of that, Um, and I think for the most part he he does see through. Like, they do get, for the most part, what he promised. Or at least they got jobs, you know? And the people working for him had jobs, and they didn't, weren't asking for much more than to be employed. where with Eli, like, he was promising salvation, he was promising yeah. healing. He had people so emotionally and spiritually connected to him, and I think that is a worse crime, mm-hmm. is to mm-hmm. leave people in, like, to manipulate people's emotions and minds and hearts, mm-hmm. where Daniel Delos is like, oh, no, I'm out for myself. Yeah, I'll, like, I'm a snake oil salesman. Like, I will talk pretty for you, but... But in some way, you, the way you say that, though, Eli is in some ways just as much a capitalist as Daniel, just not as honest about it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, like, he, there is no, I don't think that, like, the people following Eli are really getting, a, like, a true benefit, where they're, like, he, he's selling, like, such an abrupt lie mm-hmm. that they're not going to benefit from. Um, like, he promised an old woman that he took away her arthritis. Arthritis. <laughs> throws so, it out like, the door. <laughs> what happens when she can't get up the next day, you right, know? Right, right. Like, that's that's bad. He, Daniel Day-Lewis never actually hurts anyone in the town. Yes. The townspeople are actually better off because mm-hmm. of what, yeah, I, I think yeah. you're right. I think that part is general, and is he did right by those people, and he's a good guy. Well, one guy <laughs> no. dies, but I don't think he was a town's guy. I think he already worked. It was like a, but like a minor. He died on the job. Yeah, yeah. it was less he so that he killed. was like Daniel Day yeah. Lewis never like tricked or swindled the people in the town. Yeah, yeah. 
it's more like he was a bad person, but his his enterprise was at least noble, mm-hmm. quote unquote. I don't know. Yeah. All right. There will be blood. Was nominated for sound editing. Or we're done. Okay. We're done. Sound editing. <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> gotcha. Editing. Uh, Nominated for, oh one for cinematography, nominated for art direction, adapted screenplay. Daniel Day Lewis won for best actor. Paul Thomas Anderson was nominated for best director, and I was nominated for best picture. All right, the year is now two thousand eight, and you are a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You are given an Oscar bell and listed for best picture are Atonement, Juno, Michael Clayton, No Country for Old Men, and There Will Be Blood. How do you vote? Should I go first? If you'd like to. Because Lars is clicking on things. It's a tough year. It, it's really hard. Yeah. My answer is straightforward. I, I think it is. Do you know? We'll just say. There will be blood. Yeah. yeah. Why? I just don't think I've ever had a cinematic experience like that before. And maybe, like, maybe I have. <laughs> maybe Lars just dabbed everyone. <laughs> um, maybe I have. I, I feel like it's an amazing film, but I feel like... I've seen. I feel like I've seen other films that have done something similar, but I think it's few and far between. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like to be able to say that the storyline was not my favorite, and I really am someone who like. It's like I don't really pay attention to like the artistic parts of films so much unless it's really striking to me, and that is all I saw in this film was the artistry, and it was like I, I, I will say it again. Like this was, like an art experience. This was a like. Like a production. This was walking through the museum. Um, this wasn't a film to me. This was like a like an installation. Mm-hmm. So yes, that is why. Okay. Michael should go next. Oh, <laughs> Lars is super red right now. <laughs> it's really tough for me. Um, I'm gonna say a thing. I haven't decided yet. Okay. Maybe this will help you decide too. Sure. I, I feel like I'm between No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. Well, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Which is so funny, just fun anecdote while Michael and Lars decide. I was 11 when these movies came out, so I was not really old enough to see them, but I was old enough to see commercials for them. And because they are both about, like, angry people in a dusty setting, I thought they were the same movie <laughs> I up confused. until, like, a year ago. <laughs> and the titles don't really make that Um, I feel like there will be sorry I feel like No Country for Old Men is more rewatchable and like Mm -hmm. I could watch it more times I feel like there will be blood is less rewatchable it's it's more of like a it's like aliens Mm -hmm. versus alien (laughs) yeah or something I don't don't, don't, know No Country for Old Men is like lean right you know um, it's more entertaining and kind of more like witty mm-hmm. but it's also very good it's like <laughs> I'm thinking of like my viewing experience where it's like after we I was I had only the only other time I had seen a picture from was on an airplane and so and I was like I was like pretty young so I don't think I fully understood it and then watching this time like ends and you just got a feeling it's like that was a really good movie yeah. like like it's like that, like, like it's the same thing. Like when I watched Apollo thirteen, where it's like that's just like a really damn good movie. Um, there will be blood. It's like I'm watching it. And I'm like, this is like, it hits peaks of the art form in this movie, um, and and does like really amazing things. It, it, is kind of how I feel about it, and which 
man, it's... Yeah. You're right. There will be blood is, is my vote as well. I, I think it has to be there will be blood too. I, I think I like... I think No Country for Old Men is more of a favorite movie of mine. Yeah. I think There Will Be Blood deserved to win Best I, Picture. I would agree. But which is not... Does it, would go ahead. I'm just going to say, I also found There Will Be Blood very educational. <laughs> I had no clue about some of the mining practices in the whatever time period this was. Yeah. A dr- a whale drilling. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first 15 minutes, I was just like speaking out loud, like, oh my goodness, I had no clue. <laughs> it was very educational. <laughs> stars. Yeah. It's like, There Will Be Blood kind of has everything. Yeah. It's well directed, well acted, like so well acted. Mm. Um, like the music, the cinematography, it's like No Country for Old Men has most of those things. I'm not sure it has all of them. Yeah. It barely has any music. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, I don't remember like a sweeping, like, orchestral scene. Which d- doesn't need one to be good. Yeah. But, um,. Yeah, it, it's annoying because I, I almost feel like by saying there will be blood, it somehow implies that No Country for Old Men is undeserving, which is so not the case. Yes. It's such a good movie. It's so, so, so good. If it had come out the year before, I would have easily oh, chosen yeah. it over any In of those. nearly any of the other years. Yeah. If it came out nearly any of the other years, I'd pick No Country for Old Men. But it's, I have, like, it, it feels right to pick There Will Be Blood. It does. Okay. We're all in agreement. Well, this is the first time in a while. Yeah. I feel like... Since, like, one of the oh, first Oh, Brokeback years. Mountain. I think we all picked Brokeback Mountain. Oh, true. Yeah. So that was two, two years ago, so... Not quite. But, anyway. Uh, any other movie in 2007 that should have been nominated? I only have one. I believe... I only have one. Is it Zodiac? <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. Um... I could see Hot Fuzz getting a nomination in an eight-film year. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ratatouille came out this year. In an eight-film year, maybe. The Darjeeling Limited's not that good. Yeah, yeah. Zodiac. Zodiac. <laughs> Movie about the Zodiac Killer. Zodiac should have been nominated above... Juno. At least Juno. Yeah. Maybe Michael Clayton. I would agree. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. I guess that's it. Um, we're finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know we got to talk about what we're going to watch next year. We do. do. I forget if we do we do that. Yes, I'll talk about what we're watching next year right now. I don't know when we um, do it. Next year is 2008, <laughs> and the nominated movies are The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. No! <laughs> Frost Nixon. Yes! Milk. Okay. The Reader and Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, damn it. I it's, hate Slumdog Millionaire. It's not a great year. I have um, only seen half of Benjamin Button. Which half? Where he's old or young? Or both? <laughs> where he's um, <laughs> both, both, actually. Right? Yeah, where he's both. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that'll be next episode. But until then, I'm Michael Vito. Um, you can find me at Twitter at Elmovito and Letterboxd at Amerimike. I'm Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen Lovito, and you can find me at, uh, on Instagram at Rise to the Sun. New poetry every day. Follow us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Visit thepostwriter.com where we all write stuff. Listen to a thing like that, a podcast Kathleen and I do about Mad Men. Um, I think that's it. 
Uh, like I said, thanks so much for listening. I definitely usually do do the movies right at this point. It's a little preview. You do do. I do do. <laughs> but whatever. Well, uh, you forgot uh, last time, so I just I did to forget make sure last time. That. Yes, thank you for reminding me. You're welcome. Um, that's it. Thanks a lot for listening, and uh, get get ready for Slumdog. <laughs>